My name's Rad, and I want to tell you about the Transformers. My curiosity is aroused. Welcome back to a, a Transformerific episode of Transformers Tuesdays. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts for tonight. And joining me tonight are three, count them, three of my fellow fan holes. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike. This is Justin, and I, I have no head. I have no head. <laughs> Hey guys, this is Tony, and you, you can fly? That's so cool. I, someday I will learn that just because you have power doesn't mean that you're awesome. Very mm-hmm. cool. Very cool. And so, uh, you know, I, with those cryptic hints, what we are actually doing tonight on Transformers Tuesdays is we decided we would all get together and regale you with three of our most favorite episodes from the original Transformers Sunbow cartoon series. So we, we basically all selected episodes, and we're going to go, I think, in chronological order of release date. So I think that will start us off with Mr. Tony Jackson, who has brought an episode of Transformers Season 2. So why don't you tell us, Tony, which episode you've selected, and then and then we can get into it. Uh, hey, yeah, um, I chose the episode called War Dawn. Hey, what happened to you guys in the past, anyway? Ah, uh, not much. We learned a few things about Megatron, and about you, Optimus Prime. Or, um, should I say, Orion Pax? You... So you five were the ones who saved me. Would somebody tell me what in blazes this is all about? Ask Optimus Prime. He knows. All right. Spill it before I go crazy. Well, it all began about nine million years ago. Oh, great. It's gonna be one of those long stories. Um, This was, I think, episode 49 in America and 50 in Japan. Um, this is a really fun episode for me because we get some season two characters slash season three, and we also get an origin story. Everybody loves origins. The aerial bots are a big player in this story and due to shenanigans with, uh, chasing Decepticons and stuff, the aerial bots first seem almost sympathetic to Decepticons, except for Silverbolt. Uh, they all all think they're cool and everything. Decepticons almost kill people. But uh, the rest of the, the team is being dicks, and Silverbolt's like, you guys are being dicks. They go to Cybertron, and Megatron, of course, has a duex machina. He's got this time converter, and he's going to send the uh, aerial bots back in time because he's tired of, like, flying Autobots. He, he's like, screw this. So they get sent back in time, and they meet a, a sprightly young lad in Cybertron's Golden Age nine a billion years ago uh, named Orion Pax, or nine million years ago. And he just a dock worker uh and he's just a he's just a nice guy he's got a cute girlfriend and his best friend dion or dion or we'll go into that 
and they're just normal robots working in a facility. There's no war yet, except there's these flying guys called Decepticons. And the crew runs out to look at them, and there they are, and like they're so amazed by them, but the robots, of course, know who the Decepticons are. Except the other guys, except for Silverbolt, are still kind of on board. They're like, maybe we should talk to them. So they talk to Starscream. That was a good idea. Um, <laughs> before the and like you know that's like what kind of pulls into this in the past they like they like get bamboozled by starscream and like then they see megatron flying and that's the big thing megatron and decepticons can fly and it's amazing uh decepticons of course are decepticons megatron totally like takes over the docking facility he uh kind of bamboozles orion pax it's not really like or even like a backstabbing he's just really nice and then he gets his whole army to t- Take all the Energon supplies. Uh, Orion Pax, Alita One, and Dion all get shot up pretty good. Uh, as far as everybody knows, Dion Dion is dead. However, the aerial bots recover Orion Pax, take him to a slightly less mustachioed and bearded Alpha Trion, and he repairs Orion Pax to become the mighty Optimus Prime. And he says he'll do something for Ariel, who's Alita One's original name. I said Alita One. That was my fault. But so we get an origin for Optimus Prime. He does some kick-ass stuff, takes out a lot of Decepticons, and they have kind of like a timey-wimey thing where Megatron destroys almost a Guardian robot. But in the future, yours and mine, they repair the same Guardian robot because it's in the same facility, and they are fighting in the future to get the aerial bots back. The aerial bots come back. They realize the error of their ways. Decepticons are evil. They turn into Superion, fight off the Decepticons, and, you know, the day is saved. I thought this was really cool because the Autobots, the aerial bots were, like, you know, torn. Silverbolt is still a really good guy, but the other bots, especially fucking Toasthead, is an asshole. And I thought that's I kind of funny. Going through a character arc, Tony. <laughs> I don't understand how anyone would like that character. <laughs> he's going through a character arc, you sons of bitches. He's good at the end, all right? Uh, but, uh, he will never get a masterpiece toy ever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Toasted is like you know kind of a, a jerk. But um, I like this because it adds to the lore. Um, one of the reasons I also picked this is because I do genuinely like the episode. But coming up in the Power of the Prize, we're getting our first ever official, 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 really for reals, not a repaint, not a slight resculpt, Orion Pax, and that's that's pretty cool. I mean, we had like IDW's like version of Orion Pax, but not the G1 version, which I think is really cool. And we also get some uh, lore with, with Alita 1, and she's getting a toy in Power of the Primes, too. Uh, a really man-handsy toy, but whatever. But, you know, we see Ariel, and then, and then there's this whole Dion thing, which we'll go into, where is he Ultra Magnus? And the answer by Hasbro is, no, shut the fuck up. <laughs> they actually stated that. Hasbro stated Dion is dead. He died in that episode. But um, I, I thought this was really fun for the lore and stuff, and also seeing how, you know, a kid like Optimus Prime, not really a kid, but at the time he was a kid, quote-unquote, could be swayed by the Decepticons and think they were really cool. And I thought it was a really good character story, and the fact that the Aerial Boss got a character, they did get a character-building moment, Derek, you're correct, Toasthead did learn something. Um, but, like, you don't really see a lot of character development with the uh, Combiner teams a lot, usually they're just like there to be big and fight stuff. So I thought, yeah, I thought this was a really fun episode, and I, I always like timey wimey travel stories too. 
I think in your uh, defense, I, I would just say that the what I was noticing, just because I, I was curious about it, is on IMDb they have like ratings for every episode. I guess I don't know how they tally them or if it's just by you know people who rate you know reviews or however they do it. But I, I'm pretty sure War Dawn was the highest rated second season episode that I saw in their batch of episodes. Of course, you know, you could question like the the rankings that people decided to give them and everything. But I mean, I, I think that just kind of shows that, you know, I think I think it had a high eight. It was like an 8.5 or an 8.9 or something like that. And, you know, I, I just say that to point out that, you know, this is something that probably, you know, an episode that, that probably a lot of people enjoy you know because of the the revelations in the transformers canon and the backstory for optimus prime and then also like you're saying you know back to the future doctor who whatever like you know star trek you know for you know like people like that kind of you know time travel you know aspect and the the snake eating its own tail type thing you know and, and those things are kind of cool to see in in various fan fiction and all that kind of stuff but you know i i i think this is a good episode like i like this episode i mean it does it does feature the aerial bots it does feature toast head slingshot like my my favorite aerial bot even though none, none of the other fan holes like slingshot at all um he's voiced by rob paulson which is cool because it's 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 he's Raphael guys toast head is Raphael. come on he's totally cool and crude like uh, come on i would just say to that that rob paulson also voices air raid my favorite aerial bot who is much cooler than slingshot so yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just gonna say derek if it helps he does have a really cool line at the end of the episode where he's like you, you know uh don't you run away megatron we're gonna keep coming from you and we're never gonna stop fighting so he does have a good change of heart well but that, that's that's his arc right he learned his lesson he learned that megatron was a douchebag i mean i think i think all the you know what's interesting about this episode is all the aerial bots are portrayed except for silverbolt as extremely naive and and almost to the point of stupidity and as they continue to progress i mean even even the concept of time travel so that it can be kind of hammered into the the child audience that is watching this episode i mean i think it's like skydive it's like what do you mean megatron won't attack us and the uh, i think fire, it's air fire, raid or something fire, fire flight is the confused one and oh okay skydive we'll... skydive is the donatello so he explains oh, yeah. okay he, he yeah, explains which, is, which is funny because skydive is the historian yeah 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 and it, it, well, but it's like one of those things where it's interesting how like firefly is that stupid about it where you're like well Dude, we haven't even been built yet. Like, you know, like, don't... It's like, and it's like, if, if they're that naive and kind of uninformed about things, like, you could kind of accept why somebody with, you know, a smooth tongue like Starscream could kind of convince them to step onto this chronosphere and get knocked back in time and everything like that. The, the only thing that I thought was kind of funny was, like, the, the, the hostages in the beginning that Starscream takes are supposed to be like world leaders essentially so and they got like you're, the you're thinking well you're, you're thinking you're, well one you're thinking like okay like silverbolt understands he's not the naive one like he's obviously the only aerial bot who has his head on his shoulders and everything and like 
I, I would like to point out that I, I think it's what, like, Charlie Adler or whatever that voices him. And, like, I, I think it's kind of funny that Silverbolt is, like, one of the most stand-up Autobots. But he also voices Eric Raymond on Gem, who was, like, the bad, corrupt business guy who, like, yeah. was the manager of the Misfits. So he was also, like, super evil. So clearly... Like the voice actor has a bunch of cool range, and I think he was like low light on GI Joe, just to keep doing the whole sunbow connection and stuff like that. But like, I I think he, you know Silverbolt comes across as a really like stand up guy, and he's got his head on his shoulders, and he knows what's going on. But I think like all the other aerial bots seem to be super naive to the point that like you know we're saying Fireflight doesn't understand time travel. Like a lot of them kind of don't understand why they're even in a war with the Decepticons. Like, they don't understand what's so bad about them and what's so bad about them, like, Starscream chucking, like, I don't know, 11 world officials, like, just to drop them out of the sky, you know, and just fall to their deaths or whatever. And, like, but the the other thing I thought was weird was there's this weird line of dialogue where they say, well, from what we understand on this planet, like, some people wouldn't miss those world leaders. And I'm kind of like wait a minute, these guys are so naive, but they can also kind of interject political like, commentary. The, the, the writers, <laughs> yeah, the writers discontent with elected officials, and I'm just kind of like, well, wait a minute, there's naivete, and then there's there's somebody inserting their own kind of thoughts into the character's mouth, and I was just kind of like, that, that seemed to scream like that somebody was just kind of, you know, inserting their own kind of, you know, world view into a character where it doesn't belong and, and like I thought that was kind of funny I mean it's like it, it, I'm not saying the worldview is necessarily wrong and people can't be jaded about politics because you know obviously you have the right to be but I thought it was funny that characters that are so naive that they don't understand time travel somehow can understand a society that is jaded with their elected officials you know like I was just kind of like okay <laughs> yeah political like you know dissidents they're like i got that yeah, time travel, yeah i totally I, yeah i totally wrap my head around that but not time travel no one no one I, I never got about this episode is like i i generally like this episode but i never got like why are slingshot and the others so impressed with like starscream and those guys like they're the ones who are like running away from them like they're the ones whose asses get kicked and stuff like what did the decepticons do to like impress them or anything is, is it? They, is it? They, they, were, they were larger toys. Well, there's that. <laughs> is it? Is it wrong to assume that because the aerial bots are planes and the Decepticon Seekers are planes, that, that they just had a natural affinity to admire them, like because they were, I guess, so. uh, you know, planes? Like I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, like, like, like kind of like you know, those guys can fly, we can fly. Are we on the wrong side? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something like that, where you just you you see you see these commonalities in you in the enemy, and you're you're kind of wondering like, well, why why are we why are we fighting with these guys? Like, aren't we kind of just like them? Like, aren't we all brothers? Or you know that that kind of notion? Like, I mean, I I get that 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 the aerial bots in this are are naive to the point of stupidity. Like, I I would not question you. Like, I don't. I don't disagree with that assessment of the aerial bots. Like what, you know, what, what do they think is so great about, you know, Starscream, Thundercracker and Skywarp. But I, I also kind of can understand questioning something that, you know, you know, 
has gone on for, you know, like they're saying, like nine million years and you don't you don't quite grasp like, well, just because it's the way it's always been. And like, why, why does it still have to be that way? You know, like that that's something that that I think youth always sort of wrestles with. And then you you have a sense of acceptance about the way things work in the world. World. Like, I mean, I think even Orion Pax kind of comes off that way, too, because the thing that stood out to me this time was watching this, you know, there's that line of dialogue where not only are they impressed with the Decepticons, like, I mean, you could ask the same question of Orion Pax, right? Like, why would you be impressed just because the, the Decepticons can show up and fly, but Ariel says, oh, I heard, I heard he, like, basically ransacked the city and took it over. Like what? Like if you think about that in terms of trying to humanize the robotic characters, it'd be the equivalent of of you know all of us as like teenagers, you know, working at you know uh, a loading dock, you know, shipping out like you know I don't know Amazon boxes, and then hearing like, hey, this cool dude Saddam Hussein like ransacked the, uh, you know, uh, Washington D.C. Isn't he awesome? You know, and you're just like, why would you even, you know, like, like, yeah, it's like, I mean, like, even like Dion is like, he says, like, you know, you can't believe everything you hear. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, like, like, no, like yeah. He, well, well, one, he's basically saying, oh, that's fake news, but you know that Megatron really did, did ransack that, that city, oh, and yeah. then, and then on top, on top of that, the thing that stood out to me is like the Orion Pack says, like, who cares if there's a war? Like we've oh, yeah. got our, we've got guardian robots to fight that war for us, and it's like that's one of those things where it's like that's and 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 it, it's a good arc I think because Orion Pax is as naive as the aerial bots are in this, and it's a good juxtaposition and parallel. Like it's well written, and also it, it kind of shows the the sense of entitlement and maybe ignorance of youth like that you you know it's like you didn't... i think the, the term is uh not my fight right well i mean it, it's one of those things where he, you know he obviously takes the guardian robots for granted like the, the guardian robots for you know whatever they are they might just be a plot device or you know, in this case, they weren't even a toy that anybody was really trying to sell, except for the fact that now you've got, like, third-party Omega Supremes that are really cool that are going to be recolored as Guardian robot colors, which is kind of neat. But, you know, you, you've you got these guys, and all I could think of is, like, Guardian robots are the equivalent of your, you know, your military servicemen. You know, and, yeah. and it's like it's like it's 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 a sad commentary where it's like, well, what happens to those servicemen? They get decapitated and then they're reprogrammed as zombies to fight for the other side. Like that's kind of like a sad statement on, you know, like and, and I think for Optimus Prime, like once he becomes Optimus Prime, like he admits his folly. You know, he kind of fully owns up to it and, and says, I was wrong, my friends. Like I admired Megatron for his power, but I didn't see like what ex what he was doing like the cost of you know that that he was you know killing the the guardian robots that were defending us that 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 he was you know ransacking these cities that all he cared about was you know the energy on and his own power and you know i mean for the most part w without alpha trion there to rebuild him and ariel i mean essentially he killed his best friend his girlfriend and him and so took their livelihoods, you know, just well, it, it's really interesting how he, 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 uh, says it too. Cause originally 
finally all the all the kids quote unquote quote unquote are like oh they can fly they're cool they just like it sounds very like innocent but when Optimus Prime says it he says he he admired his power he doesn't say anything about flying he's like he thought Megatron was powerful and cool and then he like realized like okay yeah uh, it wasn't the flying I thought Megatron was a badass that's basically what it was he he, he like I said it was naivete. He was fooling himself by saying, like, you know, oh, flying is cool, you know, like a kid, in the back of his head, like, pushing away probably those ideas that Megatron was doing this stuff. He was using his power, but he kind of envied it, and then he realized, no, that was that's terrible. He's using his power for the wrong thing. Yeah, and he, he even says that, the, 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 that, that Megatron used his power for the wrong, you know, like, that, that he was using it for the wrong reasons, like, that, that he should have, you know, realized that, that... You know, but he didn't. I've always liked this episode, you know, for reasons you guys have already covered. You know, like I, I, I like the aerial bots too, and I like any kind of, any kind of time travel episode or an episode that would have a flashback to Cybertron before the arc left. Like I was always really interested in, in that. I guess because you know, just me personally, I'm always kind of interested in you know the the backstory or the history of characters like before. A TV show will start like anytime there's like a flashback. I'm really kind of interested to, you know, previous events and things. And I always liked how this episode connected with the previous season two episode about you know Optimus and Alita, and we kind of get you know a little bit more of Alpha Trion, which I always thought Alpha Trion was really cool. And you know when he when he sacrificed himself to, you know, basically give life to the aerial bots, I was kind of sad about that because I was like, dude, this. This guy like was cool, like, and we're not gonna see him again. But we do, you know. Not only do we see him here, but we get to see him another time in season three in another time travel episode, which I also really like. But uh, I, but yeah, I've, I've always really liked this episode. That, that I've always loved the sort of time loop that the Aerobots create here. They're, like that, come, mm. like it's kind of a thing in the background of the mythology <laughs> of the series, but like. Um, okay, I have to write this down in my notes so I got it all right. Um, <laughs> it, like the Aerobots go back in time, save Orion Pax, and bring him to Alpha Trion, who rebuilds him into Optimus Prime. Okay, then in present day, Optimus Prime orders the Aerobots to be built, and Alpha Trion gives his life to Vector Sigma so they would be born. Then later, the Aerobots save Alpha Trion as a young bot, you know, as A3. When he was sent to the future in season three, allowing him to return to the past, become Alpha Trion, save Orion Pax, and allow both of them to contribute to their own creation in the <laughs> present. Yeah, so uh, that's it's, great. It's not, I love it's, that. not, it's not even a circle. It's like an, an infinity loop or something. Yeah. <laughs> yep. they, they, they they do like a figure eight with time yeah. travel. If it that. weren't for me, I wouldn't be here. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't be here. If it weren't for me, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Very like cool. I had to write that Very all down. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I had to write that all cool. down. Very cool. But yeah, but the, I like that stuff. And, and Justin, I agree. Alpha Trion is a really fun character. And I always call this suave Alpha Trion because he's got like the small mustache. And uh, he's voiced by, you know, uh, Corey Burton. And like, you know, he's he, he has a different voice. He's not only, oh, he's like, you know, like, uh, my little avatar is Alpha Trion. And I, I do think it is funny, though, because the aerobots come to him and I just had to make this joke. They're like, you have to help us. Our friend is dying. He's like, I have so many others to repair. I don't know if I can help you right now. Please. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, he kind of changes his mind really quick. He's like, look at all this stuff. I'm trying to help all these guys. I can't. And then he's like, he's like, not only will I help, I'll completely rebuild this guy. And they're just like, oh. <laughs> I like Wait, what? I like when he introduces, like, he's like, uh, you may not recognize him anymore. I had to lower his balls. Like... <laughs> I made like, him a oh, man. Yeah, he's like, hello, my friends. They're like, holy crap, Orion. Like, you've got a deep voice now. Like, the, there is one thing I always kind of wondered about, like, Ariel becoming Elita One. Like, where where, and why does her time freeze power come into play? Like, why did, did Alpha decide to give her that? And how did he make it? And that, <laughs> that like, that's my little continuity thing where I'm like, that was never explained. I always figured, like, in my own, like, personal headcanon, Mike can disagree, that, like, her... Because, like, he re- he rebuilds Orion Pax, but th- there is parts of him that are still there, which, you know, in my headcanon is, like, m- means that he could hold the Matrix. It's just an innate way of his structure. And I'm thinking Ariel had, like, maybe that power hidden within her, and Alpha Triumph being, like, a brilliant engineer, he was like, oh, that can be weaponized. That's probably a terrible thing, but, I mean, it could be useful. <laughs> you know, that that's something else I always kind of wondered about. Like, when Alpha Trion rebuilt Orion into Prime, Optimus Prime, like, did he then give him the Matrix, or did Optimus get the Matrix later on? Yeah. They, like, they, I always kind of wondered about that. They don't, now, like, now, Cartoon the origin, continuity on that is confusing. <laughs> yeah, the origin of the Matrix is not something that's really ever discussed in the cartoon. So, yeah, yeah it's like... Especially if you watch, like, Call of the Primitives, where you're like, wait, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, when the, the Matrix is shown, like, in Unicron's, in Primacron's lab or whatever, like, flying yeah. away. And you're like, wait, did Primacron make the Matrix, too? Is, like, the uh, Primacron's assistant the Matrix somehow? Like, what yeah. the, What does that even mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, Ma- the Matrix is definitely, like, it, I, I guess it would be the same as uh, Alita One's, you know, time scream. It's like... Hard to explain, you know. But on the other, the other hand, it, it is very cool. Very, very I, cool. I, I, I made a couple like various like little things that I found funny about this episode, or little little like facts of trivia. Like, uh, l- let me just read a couple of them. Um, you'll notice that yeah, like like you said, Alpha Young Alpha Trion's voiced by Corey Burton, because his his normal voice actor John Stevenson is was apparently not on tap for this episode because. Uh, he also voices Thundercracker, and Thundercracker's one line is voiced by Wally Burr, like or like trying to do a John Stevenson like impression in this. Yeah, episode. he does sound different. So, yeah. Yeah, and then um, the, I like those Guardian robots always used to pummel us. <laughs> yeah, it's like that's clearly like Wally Burr just trying to sound like uh, yeah John Stevenson because he does that in a number of episodes where he does like an impression of one of the actors, but uh, and then um. I also was laughing because they used the same, like, you know, uh, probably got, like, the people in the studio to do a, like, everyone scream, like, ah, like, they used oh, yeah, it, like, yeah. the same thing, like, three times. It was like, when uh, the, yeah, when the dignitaries uh, get jumped, and then when the dignitaries, like, fell out, and they almost have, like, adamantium bones because they all <laughs> landed on, like, airplanes or whatever when they were uh, falling, but... Uh, Starstream has a really cheesy line right there, but I like it where he's like, "Let's dump the jumps." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's then, time uh, to dump the jumps. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And then the third time, I think, is when the aerial bots are being, like, sent on the time platform where they use the same, like, ah! Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, speaking of, like, dialogue, like, I think the one thing that ruins this episode for me is, and I was trying to find it, but maybe it's not online anymore, but remember those, like, Megatron, like, coast-to-coast videos from, like, back in the nascent days of the interwebs or whatever, where, like, Megatron had his own talk show like you guys what? remember that no what? no there, there, there was there was this guy i was trying to find them before i came that, that on that is something I, I never knew existed and i really want right now i i can't i i couldn't find them on youtube anymore but there was this thing where it was like there there were these kind of coast-to-coast space ghost like videos but megatron was the host and like in this episode is like one of the lines that he frequently used in those videos which is is hello there and like <laughs> the, the the way like the you know he megatron saying it nicely to orion pax but they always use that soundbite in that talk show and i can't disassociate like <laughs> the humor with the like hello there you know yeah. like and, and so like when i saw that it made me laugh but i can't i can't remember exactly what it's called maybe that's why i can't find it anymore like on the interwebs because it was like it was kind of in the era of like you know kung fu kenobi and those kind of you know okay internet videos like it was like you know i don't know 99 like 2000 ish like around there but i can't remember exactly what it was called but in my head it was like megatron coast to coast like but i don't i don't remember exactly what it was called the only thing I remember from that era of the internet is like endless Lincoln Park Dragon Ball Z videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Crawling in my skin. I, I always laugh like oh. I always I always laugh at the TF Wiki's page for Armada Starscream because like the main caption is like Starscream's back and he's a Lincoln Park song like. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they did that for like Armada too. Like everything was a Lincoln Park anime music video or whatever. Speaking of nascent internet videos, the the other thing that that this episode has a personal connection for me with is the the epic scene where Optimus Prime shows up and like mows down like all of Megatron's soldiers is like the clip I used for my one of my Lord of the Rings Transformers mashups. So like I always consider that scene the you know you shall not pass and like <laughs> that's what's going on when Optimus like mows down like all those guys in my. My Lord of the Rings Transformers mashup scene or whatever. So like that's what I always think of that scene as. It's pretty badass. Yeah. I, I was going to say, Mike, uh, as far as animation errors, when when Skydive is talking to Firefly, you know, Firefly is like, you know, like blah 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 blah, and like uh, Skydive is like, you know, well, you know, the Decepticons don't know us yet, and then they like pan to like the group, and then they pan back to Skydive. And it's Firefly's voice. He's like, "Huh?" Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. I was like, "Did, did Skydive just have a stroke or something?" Yeah, like, wait, what just happened? Did I just black out? Like, huh? I I also thought it was weird. Uh, at some point, Silverbolt tells like Slingshot or one of them to cool out. I was like, "Do you mean cool off?" Like, I've never heard "cool out" before, but it sounds like hip, like 30th century Legion of Superheroes slang to me, Mike. I guess so. Yeah. What the fret? What the frag are you talking about? I, I think actually, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm not making a joke, but like I think like 
the Legion would tell people to cool up or something stupid, like like where it was like supposed to be like slang for like chill out, but they would say something like cool up. So I'm like maybe maybe Silverbolt read too many Legion of Superheroes comics or something. I, I also what laugh. Sway. <laughs> Shock. I I also laugh when Tur- when uh when Silverbolt was like let's annihilate these turkeys and like I was like all of mystery science there I was like is it Thanksgiving like <laughs> oh man and like when when uh I I forgot when Prime and the others were like pinned down by the Guardian like I was <laughs> like I felt like Prime should have been like oh if only Omega Supreme wasn't such a useless load like we wouldn't be in this situation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that, was, that was pretty much like a Supreme arc during the like, second season. I'll fly you there, break down, and be useless. <laughs> Explosion imminent. Kaboom! <laughs> Omega Supreme, in almost every episode, has a bad case of used up all his power, either. <laughs> yeah. Systems yeah. function, not nominal. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, just... It's like, way to sell that toy, guys. I want the Transformer who's useless. Oh, man. I think I would have been satisfied with, well, only Omega's arm is on Cybertron. He couldn't bring the rest of them. <laughs> Yo, well, yeah, the, yeah, he just shot off his arm all the time. <laughs> the rest of them is in subspace, foo. <laughs> yeah, do you even transform, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Do you do you mass shift, bro? <laughs> <laughs> oh Sound waves like in a gym, like transforming back and forth, like growing and shrinking. You... Unless you guys got something else to say, that, that was my episode. I enjoyed it. I, I and obviously thank you, Derek, for uh, giving me the internet's approval. Um, and it's not the internet's approval. A lot of people, obviously, all four of us like this episode so that that's yeah. cool so i just I, I i do like this episode and like despite like making fun of it like this is one of the better like season two and generally one of the better episodes of the entire series and i just like to close my thoughts by building on something i mentioned earlier uh if, okay skydive is donatello that makes fireflight michelangelo silverbolt leonardo and all of Raphael's worst traits are slingshot, and all of his best traits are air raid. <laughs> Take that, Toasthead. <laughs> yeah, it's like he got split. Raphael got split between air raid and slingshot because he's Rob Paulson. Did, does that mean Alpha Trion is Splinter, or? Uh... Yeah, I, I, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. Does that mean Drift is Usagi Yojimbo? Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Always, he, he has and always will be. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah all, all I'll say before we, we shift over to the next episode is I, I traditionally am not a huge fan of Transformers Season 2. So the fact that I think this is a fairly enjoyable episode probably speaks volumes of its, you know, its inner goodness in the world of Transformers. Um, but yeah, like let's uh, let's move on now. This is funny because we have we have a pair of secret brothers in the his house for this next episode, and this is actually from season three of Transformers. And I guess I'll, 
let uh, Mike and Justin have a Vulcan deathmatch. You know, we can play the Star Trek music in the background here and and see who wins to uh, to tell us what episode it is and uh, and then all that kind of stuff. Do you want? I could give the background information, Justin, if you want. Look, I was just gonna give a quick couple sentence summary of what it's about, unless you have something more detailed. Nope. Okay. So, yeah, this is, we, both me and Justin are secret brothers for the episode Web World. Cyber sedation should be taking effect by now. And then what? We try to get him to talk about his problems. Galvatron, don't fight it. Just say whatever comes to mind. Kill, smash, destroy. Uh, yes, go on. Rend, mangle, destroy. This is stupid. Let's get him out of here. Give it a chance. It aired on October 20th, uh, 1986. It's uh, written by the late, great Len Wein and uh, co-written by Diane Duane. And uh, basically, it's um, Galvatron's madness starts to, you know, impede Decepticon progress. So Cyclonus has him committed to a world called Torculon, which is just a giant, like, psychiatric, like, ward. And uh, eventually, like, they try to cure Galvatron's madness, but eventually uh, Galvatron ends up infecting the entire planet with his madness and destroys it. And then Cyclonus just decides to accept Galvatron for who he is in the end. The end. It's a heartwarming ending. <laughs> I, I love this episode, guys, so... Yeah, this yeah. is this like, is a I, great pick. I would like I'll, I'll let Justin speak in a second, but I, I would just say that like uh, as a kid, like when I first saw this episode, I didn't think much of it because I was like, well, where like the Autobots show up for the first couple minutes and then they're gone, and then it's just you're stuck with Cyclonus and Galvatron for the rest of it, and then they just do some stupid shit. But as I like you know as a like sort of like bitter and more wise to the ways of sarcasm and humor like preteen or teen like after i watched this episode i was like oh my god this is like brilliant like why didn't i notice this before as a kid like you know and like eventually yeah like it made me laugh like so hard that it became my favorite episode so that's kind of my history with it but what about you justin I've always liked this episode, and I think part of it's because, when I mean, you guys know me, like, I've always been kind of more interested in the bad guys a lot of the time. And as a kid, I was always just really kind of fascinated by the fact that Megatron became Galvatron, which, you know, it's like, you know, Optimus Prime dies, and we get a new leader, Rodimus Prime. But it's like, Megatron doesn't die, he just kind of becomes kind of a new character, and he gets a whole new body. So I was always kind of fascinated with the whole like transition from megatron to galvatron but yeah like i i don't know it, it's kind of like and maybe tony will appreciate this because it's like the thing i liked about lucifer it's like i guess i kind of like the idea of taking the bad guy and making him face his problems or talk about his problems and that's you know that's kind of like what i liked about that lucifer pilot that you know we talked about in the halloween episode the fact that you have like lucifer discussing his problems with with a psychiatrist like i thought that was really interesting and that that interest probably comes from this episode where you know galvatron is kind of forced to maybe face his problems but he doesn't of course because he's you know he's galvatron and he's crazy and you know he's he's not going to act out the psychodrama he's not going to build a toy he's going to build a gun and try and kill everybody 
I love that. I love that fucking scene. Hey, there's there's so many like great little one liners and things, you know, like I did the you know, I have no head thing, which you know <laughs> like, the it's, alien it's, has like the head and it's like this I is, have this is like like okay. Like I know there's people out there who can't even stand Transformers and don't like it, but the way I would pitch this to them, like people that have never seen Transformers, is this this is like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but with the bad guys from Transformers. Like Galvatron is Jack Nicholson, and they put him in this crazy-ass asylum and everything, and and the idea is they're somehow going to cure him, but it turns out the cure is basically going to be this planet that's going to lobotomize him, and then what it turns out, though, is this goes back to me loving characters with ultimate fan aura, whether it's Hannibal Lecter or Thanos or whatever. Like, this was the episode, like, when, when, when I had people tell me, oh, I like Transformers, but, you know, I stopped watching it after a while. Like, I didn't like those season three guys. They killed all my favorite characters in the movie. Like, I don't dig season three. I'd go, I, I would be like, you know, in, in uh, Chasing Amy, where I'm like, like, we're going to sit you down with some Archie comics, and we're going to prove to you without a shadow of a doubt that Archie's fucking heterosexual and this and that and the other thing. And 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 for me, it was like, I'm going to sit you guys down, and we're going to watch season three, and I'm going to prove to you why Galvatron is fucking awesome. And, and this is the episode why you prove, like, Galvatron's awesome. It's like, Galvatron is so fucking crazy. Like, he cannot get lobotomized. Like... He makes the planet lobotomized. Like, that's that's how awesome Galvatron is. And it's like, that's why this episode is so freaking great. I mean, it's like... And, and, and also, just to go back to something I said earlier, like, whereas I think the, the, the political commentary, the subtle, not-so-subtle political commentary in Wardon, where I scratch my head and go, you know, how, how did the aerial bots know to, to, you know, comprehend political dissidence among a culture, but they don't understand time travel. I, I feel like everybody can relate to, like, whatever your opinion is on healthcare or, or medicine or, or whatever the current problems that face society then, now, and forever, like, everybody can relate to that fucking scene where Cyclonus is there, voiced by the great Roger C. Carmel, and, like, you know, the guy's like, can you sign this, please? And here, <laughs> yeah. and here, and here. And by the end of it, he rips up the fucking thing, and he's like, you know, this is total horseshit. And it's like everyone, like even if you're a little kid, you had to wait in the goddamn doctor's office and see your mom and dad sign a bunch of fucking forms. So like everybody knows what this is. Like it, it's like it's like one of those things where, where it's like that's just great because it's 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 a universal discomfort and hatred that everyone knows you know and it's 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 subtly kind of embed embedded into the the story and everything and like to be honest like you know it's like who wouldn't want to be i don't know for me like like i i do think of it as like one flew over the cuckoo's nest meets transformers or whatever because you're it's like you know the, just all those scenes that are so cool you know and it's like of course galvatron builds a gun like, of course he does, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's brilliant, you know, and it's just like, love, you know, like, all, all that love, kind of, yeah. I just love how absurd that scene is. Like, first of all, like, how did he build a gun out of the <laughs> yeah. materials they gave him? Like, second of all, his cannon is still attached, so why wouldn't he just shoot with that? Like, 
It's a part of him, Mike. <laughs> My favorite line in the whole episode is like when they first get there, Galvatron's kind of looking around. He sees the like the little like dwarf guy who's just going, blah, blah, and Galvatron's like, idiot. <laughs> like I love that. Like, no, I, I also Frank, love Frank that. really great in this episode. And, and when he he punches that guy's cage and it just like kind of warps a little, <laughs> yeah. like it doesn't like break or anything. It just goes. Like, I don't know why, but that little touch always cracks me up. I, I will say, as, you know, I'm going to use a lot of cliches right now, so bear with me. As far as the uh, voice actor, which I know it's uh, the much-revered Frank Welker, like, this is a tour de force. He he just, like, Galvatron owns every scene, and is, like, so fucking hilarious, but also, they're, like, you know, we, we, were, we were talking about, like, you know, Lucifer and stuff. Where you kind of get on the bad guy's side, and all of his minions, even Cyclonus, have quote unquote betrayed him. They're they're doing it for the greater good in their eyes, but Galvatron thinks everybody's against him, and he ain't about that. And like he said, Derek, he's not going to be about that. So fuck off, <laughs> you know. He's like, he's not going to take the easy route. He's not going to like you know roll over. He he is a badass in this episode, and that is just like. I think one of the things, you know, a lot of people give Rodimus shit for being, you know, not a cool character in season three or whatever. I think he was. I know you do, too. But that's not the point. Galvatron is badass in this. If you're not on the Galvatron ship on this episode, I don't know what to tell you. Like, he he is so evil, so, like, perfectly, like, portrayed. And, like, a lot of people, can, you know, complain early on about him being crazy compared to his, like... Transformers movie version with Leonard Nimoy, but this sells the crazy. It was like Galvatron is not Megatron anymore. He is his he's his own man now. And that man is fucking nuts. <laughs> well, but I, I think what's great about it is like I think my favorite line in this is where Galvatron's like you fear me, don't you, planet? Like, you know, it's kind of like, it, it, it's, it's like absurd, but it's so awesome. Like, it's so cool. Like, I don't, I don't know how to convey it other than that. Like, he makes he's a planet. yelling at a planet. He's yelling at a planet, and he makes the planet, like, quake in its fucking boots. Like, you know, he's yeah. like, he's like, you tried to lobotomize me and eat my brain. I am going to destroy you. Like, and kill you for even attempting to do that you know and it's like i i don't know like i love i love galvatron and like and the funny part is like him and cyclonus like it's serious but it's also kind of like laurel and hardy shenanigans too where it's like yeah. it's like i love i love when he's like marty galvatron forgive me like i didn't realize and he's like well you fucking should have you know like you should have <laughs> But he just smacks him away and everything. And it's like kind of like this like Stan Laurel, Oliver Hardy thing where he's just like bopping him on the head. You know, and I don't know. I, I, I really I, do love this episode. One of, one of my favorite lines is like like at the end, near the end of the episode, like Cyclops was lamenting because he's trying to help Galvatron. He was like, and not lamenting, but like just stating the facts, I guess you would say. And he's like, It'll take thousands of years for them to rebuild this planet. And Galvatron's like, only a thousand <laughs> or a couple of thousand. It's like, we should go back and fuck them up some more, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I want them, I want their infrastructure to be destroyed for, like, <laughs> millennia. One of the things I always kind of appreciated is, you know, Galvatron spends the majority of the episode just freaking out and yelling and screaming, which is really great and entertaining. 
But then towards the end, like Derek's saying, when the planet is freaking out and, you know, they're running towards the, like, planet's memory core or whatever, like, his demeanor kind of changes. He's no longer, like, screaming and ranting and raving. He's very kind of calm. And, you know, he's like, Cyclonus, I'm going to destroy this planet. Do not try to stop me. And I'm just like, I think him being calm and just stating things, matter of factly, is kind of more, I don't know. Like, I, I would not want to face the calm, calculating Galvatron. I think I'd rather face, like, the raving man- maniac who's, like, beating up his own guys. When, he, when he's more focused, he's even scarier. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, exactly. I, I, I've always, like, thought, like, uh, it was a nice touch that, you know, the Cyclonus gets off with just a backhand for pulling the <laughs> shit on Galvatron. Yeah. Like, I, and I don't know if that's because Galvatron's, you know, the wind changed and Galvatron's <laughs> mental state shifted or whatever, or, like, Galvatron maybe deep down, like, you know, decided that, well, he was trying to help me, you know, and the only way I can show my appreciation is by not atomizing him <laughs> on the spot. So, like, uh, like, I've always thought that was good. Another line I liked is, like, at the very beginning, and it's from Sludge, where they're fighting the sweeps, and he just kind of knocks the sweep aside, and he's like, dumb sweep. <laughs> that, that always cracks me up. When, I don't when know why. Sludge is the one calling you dumb, you know, there's a, yeah, yeah. You, you, should, you should hang your head in, hang your head in shame. Yeah. Go home, sweep, you're drunk. <laughs> Um, well, I, I think that's like kind of like the, the one of the things I really liked about season three, though, is in the first two seasons we had Starscream, who was always treacherous and plotting against Megatron. And like a lot of fans have said many, many times, why does Megatron keep Starscream around? And I understand that that is kind of a bone of contention. But with Galvatron, you know why he keeps Cyclonus around. Cyclonus is like the PR guy. He's like, you know, he's the guy who doesn't really keep Galvatron in check, but he is loyal and he keeps the other Decepticons in check. He's like, like don't go against Galvatron. He will fucking kill you. You know, <laughs> it's like he, he he's that like he's that like voice of reason. I remember when I was a kid, I used to think of Cyclonus as like the evil wharf in a way where like he's like a you know, he's evil, but he's an honorable warrior in a way. And I was kind of like that about Cyclonus. He always seems to have his own his own personal code at the very least, if if anything else. And th- this is kind of part of that, like where he's he's like touting the line, like because he doesn't want like Motormaster and all those other guys to to have like an insurrection against Galvatron. But he also kind of understands why there's this level of of discontent and and low morale within the Decepticon army. So he's 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 basically saying, okay, how can I solve both of these problems and and not you know not betray either party, but you know obviously you know best laid plans or whatever, but you know like it's still it still sort of results in uh, in an entertaining Chaos. episode, yeah, yeah, and and that's what I've always liked about Cyclonus and Galvatron. They they do play well off each other, and like that like it's hard to really not talk about this episode and praise all of it because like you guys said there's so many beats there's so many moments and there's so many things where and i I think like you know i said it earlier and i'm I'm sure you guys would agree this is where galvatron kind of came into his own as far as like 
oh, this is Galvatron. You know, it's like he's had his moments in season three where he's done some crazy things and he's been violent and he's like had his, you know, great rants. But this this episode is where you get to the core of like Mega, of Galvatron. He, he is insane, but I guess the best way to put it is there's a method to his madness. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I was just say I want to mention something a little off track here, and maybe Derek will appreciate this. I don't know, but like, you know, one of the one of the co-writers of this episode is Diane Duane, and she wrote a lot of Star Trek novels, and I never finished any of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was that's actually it's funny because I were secret brothers. I was just about to sort of bring that up because I I remembered that Len Wein was one of the writers on this episode and am i wrong like did they credit both of them in this or did they just credit yeah. len wein they, they both, of them. Both, of them, yeah. both of them okay maybe i just i just didn't you know i didn't recall that or whatever but like i was trying to think about like okay like i i don't know it's interesting because i guess they must have you know just co-wrote the the episode <laughs> or whatever because it's 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 not like i mean len ween had written things for television before and and went on to write things after this but i think this is this is like the only episode of transformers he ever wrote like like if you look at like david wise who wrote the previous episode we talked about like he's written many episodes you know like like a, a, a slew of you know season two and season four and you know all kinds of Transformers episodes, but as far as Len Wein goes, like, you know, and I, I, think, I, I know yeah. Len Wein did a lot of G.I. Joe work with Flint Dilly. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, but I, I just thought that was interesting because, I mean, this is, uh, to me, you know, this is this is one of the, the best episodes and, and ranks very highly in my, you know, my lexicon of, of Transformers episodes. Now, you know, uh, of course, you know, another thing I did want to bring up about those IMDb rankings, though, which I thought was very interesting, was I, I felt like those rankings were highly based on the screenwriting, the stories, because I think, like, some of them I, I was fascinated because it's like we, we talked about Dark Awakening before on this show, and I think we'd all agree that while Dark Awakening is a wonderfully written episode, that, you know, the ACOM animation is not the best. And so I, I found it fascinating that that, I think, episode got a similar, like, high, you know, 8-point-whatever ranking, 8.4, 8.5 ranking among viewers. But I was thinking about, like, this episode and even Wardon and the episode we're about to talk about, and all those were done by Toei. And, like... I mean, I'll just go to bat because Toei's always going to be a high-quality animated episode. Like, you know if Toei was involved in the animation, it's going to be a a, a, a good-looking episode. Yeah. Like, that it had money spent on it, that the character designs look fully realized. There's not going to be... I mean, I know, I know in all these episodes of Transformers, you, you know, you're going to have the fans, and there's going to be a laundry list of, like, mistakes and errors and this and that, but, like... It was the 80s, it, yeah. But I, I think when it's Toei, you're not going to have, like, stupid shit like, you know, Bruticus next to fucking, you know... <laughs> onslaught yeah. or whatever it's like it's like you know you may you may have some off model colors or you may have this and that and the other thing but it's not going to be complete it's not like it's not like galvatron's going to be tied up in a web and then you know two meters next to him 
and there's going to be another Galvatron with the Swedish or something <laughs> yeah. ridiculous like that. Whereas if you see an Acom episode, <laughs> it's like when you when when you see an Acom episode, you're like, oh shit, like that's that's probably bound to happen. So I I, I just sort of want want to go to bat for Toei as an animation studio. It's kind of like when you're discussing you know comic books, and it's like, well, you know, you may have the best written Scott Snyder you know, storyline or something like that. But then, you know, if it's if it's drawn by somebody who, who is is not the greatest artist, uh, you know, or maybe the maybe a greener artist who hasn't really honed his craft, then, it, you know, it, it's going to take that story down a notch for certain people who are art heavy. Conversely, you know, if you just have like an awesomely animated episode like Call of the Primitives, but yet the story is like what's going on with the matrix? Like what the <laughs> fuck is the story about? It's like, you know, the equivalent of having like, you know, a really very cool, uh, penciled story by Jim Lee or something like that. And then, you know, the, the, the writing is just, you know, ridiculous nineties trash. So, you know, there, there is always going to be that balance, but I, I did sort of want to vocalize for all the episodes we're talking tonight that, you know, Toei was the animation studio behind all three of them. And I think that, sort of speaks to, you know, I, I think the the more episodes you, you rank or, or at least you, you find as favorites, you know, I, I think the animation studio will probably play as strong a role as who's there, writing it. There, there's, there's, there's a sense of consistency and like, you know, like Toei may have hiccups, but they rarely have like flat out what the fuck is going on with the animation. Yeah. I, I think you just come to appreciate the effort that goes into it because, you know, we all know that animating it is not easy, you know, and that it's this almost assembly line process, especially in that era. And, and yeah. you know, when you get something that's as now I feel stupid saying it, but when you get something that's as cool as a Toei animated, you know, Transformers episode, like you, you know that it's a cool episode because everybody like looks cool like like I, I don't know how to convey it other than that they have like shading and the, the robots are shiny and they look cool and sleek and dynamic and you know you, you you've got like this extra layer of polish to something that conceivably is already a, a wonderfully well-written story so I think it only enhances you know the the final product whereas you know i unfortunately like i i think dark awakening is a good example of that not being the case where it's a wonderfully written story but you know the animation could have been cooler it could have been it more effort could have gone into it but but it was probably you know passable and 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 you know workmanlike but not not outstanding it, it, you know, it, seems, by, it seems a little jerky and not fluid yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but i i'd say I, I just say that Toei is an outstanding animation yeah, like as I, far I, as Transformers. I think, like, the directing in this episode, as far as animation went, is pretty excellent. Like, I think the focus is all on the right things. Um, Whenever there's action, like, you know, there's a clear, like, impact to it and a focus point to it. Like, I really like um the transformations <laughs> in this episode are, like, for the most part, like, pretty good. Like... I, there's a part like it's only a couple seconds, but like Cyclonus lowers to the ground in jet mode, but he's like facing up, like and he just transforms to robot mode and lands like in like I don't know, it just looks really like fluid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and the, it's like those little things that, in the greater scheme, don't matter, but when you see them, they do matter. You're like you know like I 
I appreciate that. I appreciate that extra effort. Yeah. Did you did you see any uh, of the trivia for this one, Mike? No, not really. I mean, this the, this made my list. This is my favorite episode, and it made my list when I did my list. So I mean, I just kind of there's there's a lot of like little things you could pick out, but you it, know, it, it, it's like it's like panels here, like like yeah, it's like Cyclotus has like red or orange. Yeah, yeah. It's a rare appearance by Laserbeak in season three. Like he's palling around with Motormaster and Swindle, like this like, I, I, neat actually, stuff like that. Actually, uh, I did see that on the trivia. This is the last episode Laserbeak was featured in uh, G1 Continuity and cartoons. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he got he, he got replaced with Senator Ratbat. Senator Ratbat. <laughs> yep. On car, car, car. Yeah. <laughs> and we see in this episode too. Yeah. At the very beginning. It was like eject new toy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sound right. wave. Sound wave. They must have forgotten how to do sound waves. Uh, harmonic. Uh, yeah, I know. They did. Thing. Yeah. He was Doctor Claw in this episode. That always yeah. confused me as a kid because I mean I you know I watched Inspector Gadget as a kid too. I was like, wait, why Doctor Claw there? Like you know I didn't know it was you know the same voice actor when I was a little kid. I was just like, wait. Somebody messed up some somewhere. I I knew that. I was like, somebody messed up because Doctor. Claws there, not supposed to be. Well, I, I think me and Mike have mentioned this before on Transformers Tuesdays. Uh, if not, definitely when we've been talking like off uh, off the microphone. But uh, at some point, they lost the ability to do the sound wave voice. That's why it sounds like Doctor Claw in the movies. They like, yeah, like they, I, I, like I, I don't know if they lost it. It's, it well, it, it seem it seems like lost to time almost. I guess like like they can't figure out exactly how to replicate it. Which is a sh- uh, shame because like uh, Mike just posted uh, on the message board we go to uh, uh, like a history of sound way the basics. Yeah. And, yeah. And like that is that is an iconic voice, you know. Hearing that sound wave voice, it just brings you back. So that's that's a yeah. Shame. I I remember when I was a kid, a lot of us in the play would try and replicate that you know without any kind of modification you know like of course we failed you know we i don't think we like understood the technology involved behind it to to make yourself sound like Soundwave. but i remember like playing with computer programs like in the late 90s like i was like i wonder if i could make myself sound like Soundwave. that would be awesome yeah it's, it's just crazy it's like oh well i'm like you just when i was a kid i knew it had like some kind of uh distortion or something like that but if you told me back then that it was just Frank Welker doing Dr. Claw, I would have been like, no, it's not. Yeah, I, I would not have believed you. I'd have been like, you're full of it. I don't, you're a liar. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's I, not. I would, no, I wouldn't have called you a liar. I would have been like, idiot. Idiot. Like a Galvatron, I'm sorry. <laughs> No, but yeah, yeah, that's like, yeah, insane. Like, I remember that, like, Mike, like, oh, and Justin was like, yeah, he does sound like Dr. Claw in this episode. Actually, trivia, again, because I actually did research this week. Look at me. Um, this is the, only the second time that's happened. Yeah, we don't we don't get Dr. Claw sound wave that often. <laughs> Which is good, because it doesn't sound like sound wave. It sounds, it sounds so weird doing Dr. Claw. <laughs> you know, like, Mike could do a better Dr. Claw than I can, but, like, just, like, you know. He's like, rut, but eject. Yeah, it sounded cre- creepy. It's like, oh. Rat, Rat Bat has located the isodrite. Oh my god. <laughs> and then real? I gotta, then it's like I gotta clear my throat and take a breath to do another line. <laughs> Drop like about four cough drops. Yeah. 
Too bad Soundwave should have, like, accompanied them to, like, Torculon. He was like, you know, like, This planet be whack, yo. <laughs> actually, that that was, that was a thing that uh, I actually did see also when I was doing some research. Um, and, and Justin studied this very, very eloquently earlier. Um, this is a bad guy episode. You don't really get the Autobots a lot. And... You know, it is kind of like that whole kind of like Ocean's Eleven, you know, like not really good guys or, you know, what have you. It's like the 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 bad guys episode. But I think that was really refreshing. And I think that's also why a lot of people who actually enjoy Transformers beyond just nostalgia, who actually like the series, they really like this episode. Because it was like, oh, hey, we don't have like the, the, the regular gang of rogues. You know, we actually have like a, a new story with characters who don't get a lot of spotlight. Yeah, and I think it's a nice change of pace, too. I mean, there's only so many times you can see Starscream betray Megatron and the Decepticons, like, flee in terror. I mean, you know, there's some really great episodes where that happens, but after a while, you're just like, oh, it's another one of those. But this is, like, a really unique episode. Cool. So, our, uh, I think I think we're done talking about Webworld. Do you want to move on to the, the next episode? Certainly. Um, yeah. Y- yes, but only after you've signed five papers confirming this. <laughs> of course. And, and here, that's your copy. Really? Alright, well, the the, um, the final episode of the evening is also from season three. It's called The Burden Hardest to Bear. What's eating you? I don't know, Cup. I feel boxed in. Like the weight of the world rests on your shoulders. Yeah. Like you want to run away? And how? The responsibilities. Hey, Rodimus, we've got a problem. Earth Defense Command needs... Not you, too. Give me a break, will you? Since when am I the only one who can solve everybody's problems? But... But you... (laughs) Just leave me alone! (laughs) What's with him? Giri. Giri? Japanese word. It means the burden hardest to bear. This is actually my favorite Transformers episode. It was uh, air. It aired on November nineteenth, nineteen eighty-six. This was written by Michael Charles Hill, who is famous for writing "Cold Slither." You'll be joining us soon. So that's pretty cool. Um, and the animation studio is Toei again. And basically the, the story goes something like this. There are the, the folks of Japan are awakening to do their, their daily tasks and, and live their life and everything. But of course, the evil Decepticons show up and they attack the Japanese citizens. There's a battle going on where Devastata and Predaking are basically like Godzilla they're harassing you know a bunch of fishermen and everything but then the toy model of broadside shows up to fight them off there's a sequence where Astro train attacks a, a Japanese bullet train and the aerial bots actually make a return appearance in this podcast and drive him off there is Bruticus and Defensor fighting it out of course Defensor's like no more harm has come to the humans! And of course, you know, Cyclonus and the Sweeps arrive and go, That decision's been taken out of your hands! And then, of course, Rodimus shows up, 
writing Skylinks along with Cup, and he says, it's been taken out of your hands too, Cyclonus. And then, of course, they drive off the Decepticons, but instead of actually like thanking the Autobots for saving their lives, you've got kind of the, the uh, Japanese public officials and politicians basically are upset they think they're you know endangering the citizens just by being there that they're you know they're chasing away business and tourists and everything and and this is i guess indicative of a lot of the kind of burden that rodimus prime is dealing with being the leader of the autobots and everything and you know i guess the the final nail on the head is you know marissa fairborn who is the daughter of flint lady J. if you guys didn't know but she's part of earth space defense command shows up and she actually is there to talk to rodimus because there's a problem and of course at this point he kind of loses it and he's like am i the only fucking asshole who can solve everybody's problems you know, and he kind of gets pissed off and, and leaves and everything. And, you know, Cup kind of explains to, to Marissa that, you know, this is similar to something that Optimus Prime went through in the most early days of his leadership, that he's he's basically dealing with a, a Japanese term that they call Giri, which he translates as the burden hardest to bear. Of course, the, TS, the, the, the TF wiki goes into great lengths to explain why that's a totally inaccurate translation which i think is kind of ridiculous because it's like it's i don't know they make some distinction about well it's really about duty and i'm kind of like well yeah yeah like i i guess they're trying to say that geary doesn't have anything to do with a burden that that it's it's a happily done duty i guess is this distinction they're trying to make but i i mean i don't know for the purpose of the story i'm just kind of like you know the, the whole point is you know if if you have to do something and it's your duty that doesn't mean you have to be happy as shit about it but but you know i don't know anyway i i don't know enough about it to really judge but i i think they're kind of making a mountain out of a molehill so i'll just kind of leave it alone but but anyway the the point is that that you know rodimus basically is you know kind of off on his own and then marissa fairborn thinks that maybe you know he could use a friend to talk to and and that'll help him out so she drives off after him and her groovy looking space car and of course wild rider and dead end are still stationed i guess in japan somewhere and they they basically uh attack marissa fairborn and and you know they chase after rodimus and and while marissa's getting attacked it, it it's interesting because i think rodimus's reaction to it is that he's he's actually kind of happy that he can just get into a kind of a, a race with Dead End and Wild Rider to blow off steam, but of course, once Marissa Fairborn is endangered, then his his proclivity to protect human life and, and his friends and everything gets strung into high gear, but he's, he's sort of like switching gears at like 100 miles an hour, and then he basically, you know, gets rammed by Dead End and Wild Rider, and then, you know, they... they do see something and dead ends like what's that you know and and uh, uh and they find the matrix and of course they take it back to char and they they give it to galvatron and of course galvatron you know sticks it in his fusion cannon and instead of it making him like super powerful or you know i don't know morphing his cannon into like a fugly looking orange piece of crap it actually just shoots out the the ghost 
of all the previous Autobot leaders, including Optimus Prime, and they're all chanting to return the Matrix, and, of course, Galvatron does his usual screamy, okay, I'll fucking return it, like, leave me alone! And, and then Galvatron actually tosses the Matrix to Scourge and says, get rid of it, destroy it, and even Cyclonus is like, you know, with his whole code of honor, you know, but you agreed to return it! He's like, I lied! You know, so, like, he's like, get this the fuck out of my throne room, and then Scourge decides to insert the Matrix into his own body, and at this point, he he morphs and becomes deformed, so it's, it's he, he gets all these weird kind of bumps and, and distortions, but of course, he's, he's feeling this strong degree of power almost to the point where he's he's literally like sort of crying and then uh we cut back to um to i guess rodimus who is now reverted back into hot rod because he no longer has the matrix and you know springer and ultra magnus are kind of jumping at the bit to go after the decepticons but you know hot rod's actually kind of relieved at this point like he's not rodimus he, he he's free of the burden of being Rodimus Prime, you know, and and you know doesn't see the the point in you know continuing a, a millennia long war that has no end in sight, and of course you know because of all the other instances that have been going on before, he you know he's he's ready to just kind of call it quits and drives off. Um, on Char, Scourge actually challenges Galvatron and and states that he's going to be the leader of the Decepticons. Uh, you know, Galvatron is not amused, but is quickly dispatched. Cyclonus is steadfast and loyal to Galvatron, almost to a degree of stupidity, and is also dispatched. And then Scourge leads the remainder of the Decepticons to Earth, and then uh, Galvatron and Cyclonus are not completely destroyed. They still function, so they head after uh, Scourge and the other Decepticons. So then we cut to Hot Rod, who is hanging out in a Japanese Ken class and there he actually gets some perspective and wisdom from the instructor and decides that he needs to get the matrix back when scourge arrives in japan with his forces he attacks not only the autobots but the citizens of japan uh barricade uh, tosses scourge to the ground and he frightens an elderly woman and then one of the kendo students actually tries to come to her aid attacking scourge with his sword and then he chases them into a blind alley only for Hot Rod to arrive on the scene. And, you know, of course, he's kind of shocked at what the Matrix has done to Scourge. And he defeats Scourge and realizes that, you know, he needs to be the one to to claim the Matrix. And he becomes Rodimus Prime once more. And then Galvatron and Cyclonus basically stumble upon on Scourge in the alleyway. And, of course, you know... He's like, oh, I'm sorry, it's not my fault. And he's like, he's like, you know, it was the Matrix. And Galvatron's like, well, this too is the fault of the Matrix. And starts fucking shooting him and punishing him for betraying him and all that good stuff. So it's more than a bonk on the head this time. And as the Decepticons retreat, you know, Cup basically refers to the recovery of the Matrix as, you know, a missing part of Rodimus Prime that he's now found and recovered and Rodimus Prime basically he's now accepted that his role as the leader of the Autobots and 
and kind of realizes it wasn't only the Matrix that he was missing, but but he considers the Matrix a missing piece of himself that he needed to recover. So this is this is essentially the the Wally West stepping out of the shadow of Barry Allen kind of episode, you know, kind of basically taking on, you know, and, and fully embracing, you know, the mantle of leadership for the Autobots. Um, it's always been a favorite episode of mine. And I, I you know, I, I really love, you know, the performance from uh, Richard Gaudier as as uh, Rodimus Hot Rod. Um, and uh, I, I guess one thing I was telling Justin last night that most people might not know is, unless I've mentioned it before and I've forgotten, but in any case, I always loved Transformers the movie so much that I would make these fanfics using either, I, I've done two where it was, all Marvel characters or all DC characters, and all I basically did was retell the story of Transformers the movie, and I inserted various characters. So, like in the DC version, it was like you know the Connell Superboy grows up into uh, a kind of adult Superman, you know, from Rodimus the Hot Rod, and you know I don't know like Darkseid was Galvatron and things like that. Whereas I think in the the Marvel version, it was a little more thought out where. I guess it was Peter Parker who was kind of the hot rod and he, you know, becomes like the cosmic Spider-Man by the end of the story, you know, the Rodimus prime version of him or whatever. And, you know, Dr. Doom turns into Kang and kind of like Megatron turns into Galvatron. And that was my whole, you know, little fanfic thing that just basically appropriated the, the Transformers, the movie storyline. But I, what I was explaining to Justin the other night when we were talking about this was that, I like this episode so much, the burden heart is to bear that I actually sort of drew and, and semi wrote like a sequel to the Marvel version of it. And I was kind of laughing because this was way before like Deadpool was like the mega movie star that he was today. But it's like in my version, like Sabretooth and Deadpool, like, you know, knock cosmic Spider-Man off the road and turn him back into plain old Spider-Man. So like, you know, that was, I was kind of laughing about that, that, you know, that it was something that I had, you know, kind of taken to heart or whatever. And, and, you know, I guess that's just supposed to exemplify like kind of how much the story, you know, meant to me. And, and, and I, I, I do, I do appreciate the story a great deal, but I guess I'll open it up to you guys and kind of ask, I guess, you know, what, what you guys think of the story and, and maybe when you encountered it and that kind of deal. Rodimus is dumb and you're dumb for liking him. No, I'm just kidding. That was totally a season three thing of like a lot of fans. Um, I think Rodimus is great. I have no problem with Rodimus the character. I think he's got built more in recent years, but in season three, there is a lot of kids who thought he was shit. And this was a great episode to totally counter that argument. He is impulsive and he, he he's a little bit reckless, but he's caring and he, he does have all the qualities of a good leader. And they show that in this episode, and uh, I secret brothered you this when you picked it because I was like, I wanted to pick it, but I couldn't because I know how much you like Rodimus, and you would put it better than I would. That's why I was like, Derek, you go ahead and take this. Um, Bernhard's Bear is the only problem I have with Bernhard's Bear is it's so good that it makes the follow-up episode such a fucking tragedy. And I'm like, I'm like, why'd you do that? Don't do that because it's the return of Optimus Prime, and I'm like, you. Just killed everything you did with Rodimus. Damn well, you! It's, it, it's kind of like if if 
after the the return of Barry Allen, Mark Wade storyline, you immediately went into the Jeff Johns, Flash Rebirth storyline. Like that's kind of what it's like, you know, yeah. where it's like it's like we he doesn't get any time to sort of shine or be you know be on his own in his prime or whatever. He just kind of you know goes back to default or whatever. You know, it's like okay. Yeah, like, whatever, thanks. But um, as far as, like, uh, well, I actually thought of the episode, as far as this story, um, Rodimus really is much more of an interesting character to me than Optimus. Because Optimus is always seen as, like, very high on a pedestal. He always does the right thing, even though he has fucked up in the cartoons and in comics. But he always seems to give him a buy. It's like, oh, Optimus, he's, he's Optimus. Rodimus had this, you know, basically albatross around his neck from the movie because of marketing and toys and stuff. But if you actually watch the character and, like, enjoy the character and are willing to put aside, like, your bias for Optimus Prime, you can really enjoy Rodimus. He, he is a, a, a well-solidified character. He actually does have motivations, and this episode really drives it home. And also Scourge being, like, the bad guy was also interesting, too, because... You would think maybe Cyclonus, but Scourge's mutated state is really terrifying. It's like really good animation, like you said, from, from uh, Toei, and it like really drives home how mutated and this like overpowered he is. And there are some beats here that kind of like are interesting with like the the sword, you know, dojo thing, and that's hit or miss, you know, like some parts of it. But overall, is like I I, I really regret how much this built up the Rodimus character for them to take it away. And that's that's the only thing I regret about it. If you watch this episode as a standalone episode, it's really good writing. And you really, like, get an idea of who Rodimus is. And I, I really enjoyed that. I, I do like this episode. Like, I do like Rodimus like you do. And uh, I think this is an episode that, like, people would point to who, would, like, don't like Rodimus when, you know, people complain that, oh, Rodimus was, like, a whiny bitch or whatever. And I would counter by saying, well, this is exactly what you said, Tony, which is, like, why Rodimus is a more interesting leader than Optimus, is that he actually has room to grow. And uh, un unlike, I was going to say, unlike uh, Slingshot, I like it when Rodimus learns his lesson. So. <laughs> nice. No, I mean, for, for this episode, I mean, it, it's, not like, it's not like Rodimus doesn't voice things that everybody goes through you know like because i mean I, I think a lot of people have self-doubt and i think part of the the thing of learning to be a leader is is you know maybe not not being you know kind of keeping some of that stuff close to the vest and not letting everybody know that you're sweating like that's that's part of it but it's also you know it, it's also interesting that he he's he sort of realizes, I mean, I, I do love that scene where he's, he's, you know, I have moments like that, like the moment with Marissa Fairborn, where you're like, am I the only, you know, am I the fucking horse whisperer? Like, am I the only guy who, who people can come to to solve their problems? Like, that can't be right, right? But yet, sometimes you do feel that way when when there's there's certain circumstances and everybody's looking to you you know, for answers. And, and, and sometimes, you know, I, I, I feel like I can relate to that. Like I can lose it and kind of think like this can't be 
like I can't be the only person that that people can come to for these things. And 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 also, you know, the scene after he wakes up, you know, in the the sort of med chamber or whatever it is, and he has that tirade. I mean, you know, some people might point to it as, you know, I mean, I I feel like I I kind of I looked at the TF wiki and used some of it for my, you know, and help with some of my synopsis as I was kind of retelling the story, you know, in a more kind of, you know, I guess, talkative way or, or, or you know, personable way or whatever. But, you know, a lot of it I, I kind of don't agree with. Like, they have their own little snide comments about, you know, how, you know, Rodimus is stupid or, you know, whatever their comments are. And, and one, not only do I not agree with it, but I, I think it kind of misses the point. You know, the, 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 the point is not that, that Rodimus doesn't care about getting the Matrix back. It's that he knows what it means to hold it, and 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 he he's tired of being the one to bear that responsibility. It's not so much like that he doesn't know the lesson with great power comes great responsibility. It's more like, all right, I know the lesson, but it's like the great responsibility part is really wearing me down. You know, I have to live up to Optimus Prime. I have to live up to all the past Autobot leaders. I have to be on beck and call for every single problem that's going on. And and that's why he's like, you know, it's funny because it's like, you know, there's that sense of becoming an adult is realizing that you can't solve problems that have been going on since before you were born. You know, like, that's why he has that kind of tirade about, you know, this war's been going on for a few dozen millennia. I don't see it changing. Do you? We punch this Decepticon, bash that Decepticon, like nothing fucking changes. And and it's not that he's being whiny about it. He's he's realizing there there is a level of futility to their situation. But then, you know, by the end of it, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you stop trying, you know, just because certain things are are kind of set in stone and, and, and you're, you're dealt, you know, certain, you know, unfortunate circumstances. So, I mean, you know, I, I guess, I don't know. I, I've always kind of liked Rodimus and related to Rodimus. And, and I think that's, that's kind of why I kind of adore this episode. And that's why it's one of my favorites. Like, I, I think, I think anyone can relate to like being unable to measure up to someone else who was like awesome or, you know, being expected to be, like, perfect in a job that you don't even want to do. Yeah, and, like, you know, like Derek said, like, when the Matrix is gone, it's not that he's giving up. He's just, like, he's doubting himself. He's, like, wondering if he was able to actually be that leader, which is what someone who is actually a hero would do. They would They would wonder if they could do that job. He's not running away. He's like, I don't think I could do this. Because I don't think I'm strong enough. And he does find out that he is strong enough in his own self-worth. And that's that's the that's what you're supposed to take away. Is like, is he the most perfect leader ever? No, but you know, I'd rather somebody try their fucking best. The thing I'd say about Scourge in this episode is like I had read parts of Matrix Quest in the Marvel comics before I had seen this episode, so I thought, like, I obviously I thought Thunderwing was awesome, and I thought him using the Matrix as a weapon was, like, super cool, and, like, he was, like, the only Decepticon who could do that. 
So then when I saw this episode, I was like, oh, Scourge turned into some lumpy monster thing. And then, you know, it, even I think the TF Wiki, I'm looking at it now, makes mention of it. It's like, okay, Scourge gets the Matrix, becomes super powerful, orders an all-out attack on Earth, and then abruptly abandons that to chase an old lady down an alleyway. Like, so, <laughs> I guess it's like he deserved to get defeated. I think, too, though, like, I mean, I, I know the TF Wiki likes having its fun and, like, cracking wise at the expense of, you know, a story that maybe isn't, you know, uh, meticulously thought out. But if I was going to if I was going to apply some no prize logic and like like defend it with stuff that is not written in the story. And I fully accept that none of this that I'm about to say is written into the story. But like you, you could say, like, well, how does Rodimus lose the Matrix? Isn't it like inside him, like in his chest? Like, how does it just randomly fall out like that? But like my thinking is like he's he's kind of in that state where he wants to be free of the burden, right? It's the, the burden hardest to bear. And, and in, in the state of mind that he was in during that car chase, it's almost like, it's like that thing of like, you know, when, when Superman decides to give up his powers for Lois Lane, like he almost does it to himself, you know, like, or, or like, you know, where, where, the Spider-Man 2 thing, it was all a psychological thing. It's not like he was really losing his powers. It was just his own mind messing with him type thing. And I, I kind of feel like this is a similar instance where it's like he, he wasn't willing to hold on to the Matrix, so it left him. And, and you know, Scourge wanted it, so it, it went with him. But I think once Rodimus talks to the, the Kendo Sensei, you know, and has these great conversations with them and everything where, you know, you get these these words of wisdom, you know, like, don't expect to win, don't expect to lose, expect nothing and focus on, you know, what you need to do so that that you can win, you know, like, and, and so, like, th those kind of things, like, then, then when he's in that mode, it's not so much like he's not he's not thinking about losing, he's not thinking about winning, but he is thinking about, I need the Matrix back. And at that point, my no prize is, well, the Matrix isn't going to stay in Scourge, and maybe that's why he's he's kind of not as powerful as he was when he defeated Galvatron, you know, because the, the Matrix is now knows that Rodimus is willing to, or Hot Rod is willing to accept the burden and take it back. So that was, I don't know, that's my kind of, you know, maybe, maybe it was no a test prize by, or whatever. It was a test by the Matrix. Not, not intentionally, but like, you know, once Hot Rod you know, was not willing to take it, the Matrix was looking for a worthy bearer. And for, like, five seconds, Scourge was like, I'll use this power, and, like, I've been, you know, oppressed by Galvatron, and, like, and then, like, the Matrix is like, oh, okay, this guy's an asshole. And, you know, it's like, Hot Rod is not a bad guy. You know? But but it does mutate him, and that's, that's, that's the interesting thing about the uh, animation is, like, again, like I said, it makes Scourge, like, this, like, monster, he can't contain the power, actually. You know, it's like he, he turns into something else. It doesn't, it, and when it goes into Rodimus, it makes him, like, you know, we said this, you know, jokingly, makes him into a 40-year-old Rodimus. <laughs> you know, he's like, you know, got, you know, uh, age lines, and, like, he's more deeper <laughs> in his tone and stuff. But, I yeah. mean, 
you know, well, the, the the animation is pretty decent in this episode, but sometimes they like they can't maintain like sometimes he's got hot rod face when he's, you know, supposed to be Rodimus. And sometimes he's got Rodimus face when he's supposed to be hot. Rod. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like I, I kind of think of it like the it, I know some people make fun of it, but in the in the West Craven Swamp Thing movie, the way they treat the bio restorative formula is not so much that like. It's not like if you drink that formula, like, everybody becomes a swamp thing. It's more like they, they treat it as whatever your innermost self is, is what you become. So so it's kind of like, you know, oh, Alec Holland becomes this green, you know, swamp thing, life-giving, you know, elemental or whatever you want to refer to him as. But when, you know, when, when one of the thugs takes it, he becomes, instead of a big fat man, he becomes like this tiny little trollish gnome you know when anton arcane takes it he becomes like this weird werewolf in a purple jumpsuit for whatever reason but it's like the idea is you know it's supposed to be like their innermost selves so since arcane's pure evil he turns into this like monster that's pure evil you know since scourge is this deformed evil you know slow yeah you know it's like it's like he he wants to not only have his own identity so he he makes himself lumpy to set himself apart from the other sweeps and and have some sense of individuality as opposed to his his sort of homogenous nature but But he wants to be stronger but yeah he want he wants to be stronger and and he becomes evil and 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 deformed and kind of a monster you know more so than he already is and, you know, of course, you know, obviously we already know with, with uh, Hot Rod, you know, he becomes Rodimus. He, you know, in, in some sense, it's like that ridiculous scene in uh, The Next Generation where uh, Q turns Wesley into a, a studly He-Man looking dude with the same stupid sweater or whatever. But that's, at, at, you know. at his heart, it's, been, it's actually been a thing that's like actually in the comics in IDW, even though Hot Rod will never say it, he will always want to be as good as Optimus. That is that is what he wants to be. But the thing about it is, is like, there's a lot of characters who want to be glory hounds and heroic and stuff like that. I, it, what I, what I get from this is Hot Rod wants to be Optimus because he wants to do what Optimus does. And in that respect, I mean, like, help people be this beacon of light. He, he sees what Optimus is and he wants to be that not for selfish reasons, if that makes sense. Well, and again, you know, like for people that voice kind of like, oh, Rodimus is a whiny bitch, right? Well, if if he's living up to Optimus Prime, his tirade about the war going on for as long as it has gone on, I mean, that, that, that's kind of always been my secret complaint about Optimus Prime is, if Optimus Prime is so fucking great, why didn't he end the war? Like, why didn't he victoriously yeah. win and decisively win and 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 in that sense you're like look the the previous generation handed me this millennia long war and now i'm stuck with it you know and it's not that part of the dynamic between autobots and decepticons is never going to change you know and 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 you're sort of saddled with that so i mean you know to me it's like i i could always understand the you know the frustration that that somebody would feel i think you know again coming back to something that i said which hopefully i'm not being repetitive but i think 
you know, be, becoming an adult is not necessarily that you have no frustrations, but it's learning to deal with those frustrations and accept them as part of who you are. And, 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 and maybe in some ways, you know, use your weaknesses as strengths and learn how to use them to make yourself a better person. And, and it, you know, if, you know, hopefully if, if I took that away from this, you know, and maybe I'm attributing too much credit to this episode, but I mean, I, I you know, I, I always get mad when people suggest that uh, a book or a movie or a TV show either made them do something or made them a better person or or conversely made them a horrible person. You know, it's like it's like Beavis and Butthead made me like fucking set that house on fire, you know, and, and most people are like, well, that's ridiculous. But then again, if you say <laughs> like, that you got the idea from it, but you did it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, I mean, I, I firmly believe that. But then again, I, I kind of take issue with the fact of, you know, if if somebody stopped committing suicide because they loved Scotty on Star Trek and Scotty decides, like, well, I saved that girl. You know, it's like one of those things where you're like, well, wait a minute. It's either it's either it's either you do have an influence and that can be positive or negative or it's you don't have an influence and you can't sue like Mike Judge for, you know, some idiot setting uh, somebody's house on fire. It's either one or the other for me. And you know, if it, you know, if it's if it's if it's going to be influential and it turns out that it's positive, that's great. But if it if it also turns out that it's negative, you know, maybe maybe some people should own up to some responsibility for that too. But I, I will say for this, this is something that I think uh, had a very positive influence on me and and you know i will i will always appreciate this episode and 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 again that's that's why it's one of my my favorites i i would say like you know as far as going into what you just said optimus prime is an ideal he is what you would want to be but rodimus prime is a is a character he's a person he's like someone you could be because he just wants to do the best he can and there's that bridge because Rodimus Prime would like to be like Optimus Prime, but he's just trying the best he can. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to like fuck up, but it's never coming from a bad place. It's never like a total narcissistic thing. He can like be, you know, arrogant and conceited, but that's human qualities. He's never going to try to like, you know, be a bad person like individual and like I say person I know he's a robot but you know when you do that you identify more with that character I'm not going to be it's basically like it's it's like that dichotomy it's like can I be Superman or Batman I can never be Superman I might be able to be Batman but I'm probably not going to be Batman and Rodimus is trying to be Superman the best he can and I think his track record shows that he has the qualities to be Superman, you know? He could be Optimus Prime. And I think a lot of the fans gave that character too much shit. And they didn't want him to be a character. And I think you have to look at the character first. Because, honestly, G1 Optimus Prime is not really a character. He says a lot of cool things. He's really respected. He's an ideal. He's like, that. it's like Abraham Lincoln. Do you know Abraham Lincoln? No. But you know that the guy down the block who does a lot of good stuff and you appreciate him doing the best he can? Yeah, you want to be like that guy. 
can't be Abraham Lincoln. You can be that guy, though. You can maybe be that guy. And I think that's what Rodimus brings to the table. He's someone you can relate to. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, to, to draw out the analogy, though, it doesn't mean you can't, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into too much political stuff, but it doesn't mean you can't live up to whatever you think the the honorable ideals of an Abraham Lincoln or a George Washington are, right? Like, just because... Just because you can't be them doesn't mean you can't you you can't take certain life lessons from from people or historical figures or you know people that you know may be impossible to live up to, but just the simple effort of of trying to probably makes you a better human being. I suppose you know. I agree. So that's yeah yeah. We went really deep into Hieronymus here. Uh, I know Mike has said some stuff. Uh, Justin, I know you've been quiet for a while. Uh, what, what do you think of the burden hardest to bear? Besides the fact that I, I assume you also like Rodimus. I do. I've always liked Rodimus. I think the difference uh, between Rodimus and Optimus, it's like the difference between Kirk and Picard. One is more action-heavy. The other one spends a lot of time trying to settle disputes between different planets. Like, we get a lot of that in Season 3. I kind of noticed that. Like, I've been rewatching T1 a lot. And, you know, there there are a lot of episodes where Rodimus is not involved or he's just kind of there to, you know, be in the background and help these people, like, settle some difference. And it's really, you know, Grimlock having an adventure in Fantasyland or, or, or whatever. But uh, I've always liked Rodimus, and I, I – I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying that he wasn't giving he wasn't given a fair chance by fans. Like I was more interested in Rodimus, I think. I mean, yeah, I I liked Optimus Prime and I cried when he died, but I you know, I got over that and I was interested in Rodimus and what he was gonna do and what kind of character he was and what kind of character he was going to become. Because I could see, even though he was the leader, he still had a lot of that hot rod personality to himself. And I thought that was really interesting. You know, he's not just, he doesn't automatically know the best or right thing to do just because he has the matrix. It's, it's more than just getting a thing full of wisdom, you know, like you have to decide what to do with it. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I really like this episode, and it's it's one of my favorite episodes, too. Like, you know, for me, my favorite episodes, it's like Web World, of course. And this is – this might be, like, number two for me because I do really like this episode. Like, it has a really good art for Rodimus, and I think it has some really nice animation. I mean, there's some – you know, like Mike pointed out, it's like they can't decide if, you know, which face Hot Rod – should have it's like he should have hot rods he should have rodimus and it's it's very inconsistent you know it's error laden but you know I, I can look past all those faults and still really enjoy this episode and i'm so glad it's not a acom episode because i think that would just infuriate me <laughs> I, I feel like also maybe a, a super secret reason why i like this episode so much is because I think the Christmas of 86, like, I, I basically had all the main players in this episode. Like, I, I, I think that Christmas, it was like, I got Hot Rod and Rodimus Prime, and I, I, I had Galvatron for a previous birthday. And then by 
the uh, Christmas, not only did I have Rodimus and Hot Rod, but Cyclonus and Scourge. So it was like one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I don't know. I was always I was always big on on sort of replicating things that I liked that I saw, you know. So, uh, again, the not only was this a good episode, but it probably fulfilled the uh, the Larry's toy mandate of, you know, sell these toys to this dumb kid because I was definitely that kid that was enjoying myself with the, you know, the Transformers in this episode and, and probably, you know, faithfully tried to replicate it, even though I'm still waiting for my, my uh, clairvoyant old lady action figure, you know. So. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, Derek, uh, uh, given your uh, twenty twenty uh, year absence from twa- Transformers, 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 um, I know you've been getting a lot of uh, other characters the last six months or so because you you like season three. But one thing I do know that a lot of fan holes may not know, who uh, fan hole listeners, is you've always kind of kept up with Ronimus after you got back in the action figure game. I would love to see an Instagram of like all the Rodimus figures you have because I know you have a varied and a sundry lot of them. So, I do, I do. Well, yeah, I can, I can whip up something. I'm sure. The last thing I'll say about this episode is echo Derek's uh, compliments on uh, Dick Gaudier's performance because I think my my absolute favorite line of his in this episode, and there are so many, is him when the the sensei is like, you are lying, Autobata-san. And he's like, yeah, I am. Like, it's such a <laughs> yeah, fucking smart well, like, delivery. Yeah. I think what's funny about that is, like, I, I say this episode influenced me, and I, I, I think that's how I am in real life. Like, a lot of the times, nobody wants to know how you're really feeling, and and I I find myself, I do this a lot, where somebody asks how you are, and I say, I'm fine. And no one is as wise as the sensei to ask, but you're lying. And, 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 and it's like the easiest answer to that when you're caught in that lie of that I'm fine. And then somebody says, well, you're not really fine, are you? Like, you're lying, right? And he's like, yeah, I am. You know, like, <laughs> I am lying. Like, I, I, it was just the easy answer. I was trying to, I was trying to get out of talking to you about it, but yeah, I'm not fine. You know, so like, I, I guess that that's something about that that's always kind of stuck with me too. Rodimus is honestly the most honest Autobot ever. He just says what's on his mind. He, he, like in IDW especially, he's just like so off the cuff. He's like, yeah, that's stupid. You know, it's like, and how can you not appreciate that? Yeah, I I think that's part of his leadership style that I I found appealing because he's an off the cuff guy. And, yeah, he doesn't know what's going to work, but he certainly he's like, all right, let's see what happens when I stick this goo in the fucking, you know, exhaust port of the ship. Like, I think it'll work, you know, like like it's just like he's kind of working with what he has and does 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 things, you know, kind of flying by the seat of his pants but at the same time, like, I think, you know, there's an element of luck to it and there's an element of charm to it where you're just kind of like, well, you know what? It, he, he does kind of have that. It, it's funny that Justin brings up the fact that a lot of his, I guess, mediation is akin to Picard in the next generation where you've got these kind of, you know, pseudo Israeli Palestinian aliens, you know, and, and things like that, where you, you you have to be the diplomatic gentleman, and and Hot Rod is anything but. 
right? Like that. That's kind of why when he's talking to those Japanese guys, it, it's like one of those things where he's like, "Do, do you wanna, do you wanna defend yourselves from the Decepticons all by yourself? Is that what you want? Because we we could do that. Like we could do that. Like I, I don't think you'll like it, but we could do it that way, you know. And 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 there's there's always that that dynamic of of he, he's kind of a, a you know. Uh, around around the uh, cube in a square hole or whatever, you know, where he, he's trying to... He's going to tell you the truth you don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he, it's funny because he's he's kind of a straight shooter, you know, and I, I think that's that's definitely, I don't know, for me, that's something that I can I can see, you know, as well, where it's like, I you know, I, I just as soon be straight with somebody than, than make something up, even though... Even though there are those elements where you you do want to take the most expedient and simple answer, even even if you're not necessarily being straight by saying you're fine, but that comes at your own expense, not at anyone else's, you know. Like, and so that's that's also in its own way, you're you're um, you're you're sort of taking one for the team, which is is kind of is kind of what being the Autobot leader means, you know, like that. It, it, especially in, in Rodimus's case, you know, he doesn't get to just joyride and be hot rod and be carefree. It's like he, he does kind of have to give up certain aspects of that, you know, to, to be the mediator in all these diplomatic situations to be the guy who, who, you know, talks to, to Danny before he falls asleep at night. So he doesn't have bad dreams. Like, you know, cause he's Danny's friend, you know, like all these things that he does throughout the course of the series, you know, is, is, there's there's a certain element of his his leadership and and also you know just the fact that he he's ultimately at, at his core he's a he's a good natured person who just wants the best for for his friends and his soldiers and you know when 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 you're doing a lot of bullshit talking and someone comes in and says okay you guys are being dumb you may not like that guy but you have to respect him because he came in and said the most obvious thing. All right. Well, I, I think I think we've kind of exhausted our our thoughts and, and content for uh, tonight's episode. But if you guys have any other comments, questions, and or concerns, you can of course always reach us at fanholspodcast at gmail dot com. We also, in addition to Transformers Tuesdays, have plenty of other spinoff series. We've got. Mobile Suit Mondays, Sentai Saturdays, Toku Thursdays. We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. We've got Comics, Motherfucker, Do You Read Them, where we talk about comics. And we've got Justice Like Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast. So we've got all those cool shows to check out. And there is, of course, also the Fan Holes proper shows. And you can find all the backlog of our episodes on fanholspodcast.blogspot.com we're on iTunes we're on Stitcher Radio uh, where we can be streamed we appreciate all the likes and feedbacks and we're on all kinds of social media Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook so until the next time this is going to be Derek Derek WC signing off Hey it's Mike This is Justin and the fan holes have 100 listeners. No, 100,000! <laughs> and this is Tony. Dion's dead. Get over it. Dion got rebuilt into Huffer, and he was a whiny bitch ever after. <laughs>
Can't, can't people see? I'm like, look at that color scheme. How can you tell me that Dion was not rebuilt into Huffer? He so was rebuilt into Huffer. That's my theory, and all your other fan theories about Ultra Magnus and Ironhide are wrong. He's not He's not even Super Dion or whatever that other guy's name is. But much like Ray, Dion is no one. Dion is no one. The Rancor Keeper and the Fat Lady in Java's Palace are his mommy and daddy. Yes. <laughs> You can't for garbage people. Bye. Uh, the the aerial bots went back to like get his body, and they were like, "He's dead now." Okay, can we go now? <laughs> go now. I, I I didn't read it. Uh, the actual comic. Isn't, whenever, isn't I read it a just wiki. like? Is like he's Magnum? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, I thought they, Dion just became like Super Dion or something. Yeah. Well, what, or... what they did in the fan club was they had Dion, and yeah, he became like a recolor of Hotshot. And then, like, uh, they had this guy named Magnum who looked like Ultra Magnus. And then, like, both of them get, like, wrecked up. And then, like, there's this scene where they're both on a hospital bed. And Alpha Trion's like, I can only save one of them. And, and then, like, Optimus is like, oh, okay, whatever. And then, like, in the next scene, Ultra Magnus is there. And he's like, I'm back. And I'm Ultra Magnus now. And, like, Optimus is like, who were you before? Dion or the other guy, Magnum? And he was like, I'm not going to say because we're clever. No, I, I was. Uh, I was. You... I was Snoke's dancing pair of legs. <laughs> I, we taped. We taped Magnum's upper half to Dion's lower half. <laughs> <laughs> He's called Dion for a reason. I don't know what it is, but I, I figure figure Celine Dion's his mom or something. Um, well, his name is like I always thought. His name is literally Dion. So, because he was supposed to die, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, I thought that was the whole point. It was like, well, yeah, he was made to die for like Orion Pax's origin story. So. He's actually the, he got the wrong voice. He's actually supposed to be like a Brooklyn guy. It's like, hi, I'm Orion Pax. This is my friend. This is my girlfriend, Alita One. And here's my best friend. Tell him your name. I'm Dion. I'm like, yes, you will. Dion. <laughs> Uh, oh, uh, that's I'm Ultra Magnus over here. <laughs> I'm Ultra Magnus over here. De- Dion was the burn victim. He was. <laughs> he was totally Ray Fines. The old man. He's like, who, who was Dion? <laughs> I'm glad I'm recording. He was Ray Fines, lady. He was Ray fucking Fines. Did you watch the fucking movie? <laughs>